going to have some enthusiastic good evening going on. Good evening. Oh, there you go. Thank you, Joel. But he's good evening doubt. John had a peek at the lesson tonight before he picked songs for tonight, but it's actually very appropriate. There you go. But uh, the uh, the lesson tonight is a farmer in God's harvest. Again, is the metaphor that uh, kind of we're looking at <clears throat> looking at this evening, and it's uh, again kind of like last week was pretty interesting. This is another one that's uh, um, it's really interesting interesting thoughts and uh, maybe not necessarily anything uh, groundbreaking or earth shattering to us, but if nothing else, some good reminders on some things and convicting hopefully on some things as well. Um, So lesson number two tonight is a farmer in God's harvest and um, did I pass out the, everybody got handouts? Okay, cool. so the text verse for tonight is actually 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. It says, The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Um, so kind of an overview this evening. You know, a bountiful harvest is simply the visible result of a farmer's earlier duties that were performed faithfully. As laborers for God, we too must work to see an abundant harvest. So Kind of the lesson tonight, we'll look at some of the farmer's tasks and relate them to our responsibilities as God's husbandmen. A farmer's job is not easy, but it is rewarding. As God's harvest field laborers, we must be willing to prepare the ground and be obedient to plant it and prune it and ultimately being very diligent to possess it, the harvest that the Lord gives to us. Now, at the conclusion, it's kind of some objectives we're going to think about this evening is um, we should be examining our lives for anything that would hinder a great harvest. Um, be under, we should understand the importance of faithfully spending time in God's Word for conviction and growth in our lives. And then number three, be determined to be actively involved in gathering God's harvest. So jumping in to the, um, the lesson specifically um, tonight, you know, farming is a very hard, laborious, and arduous arduous, arduous task. It definitely should not be the occupation of choice for someone who wants recreation and relaxation in life. And so it is with farming in God's harvest fields. It is not simple and it's not easy, but if we're faithful, the harvest can be glorious. To gain a bountiful harvest, a farmer has to perform several significant tasks. And that's kind of going to be our main points this evening. This is it's kind of an interesting thought. Again, we, we know this, but just kind of hear it can be, hmm, that's really interesting. No, the harvest is simply the visible result 
of the preliminary steps that were performed faithfully. The harvest is really the visible results of those steps that were performed faithfully before. Think about it in context of an athlete. No, the great game, the, high, the great score, the high score, the highlight play. That's just the result of all the hours that they spent in practice and training that nobody sees. Most don't, at least. It's the result of that. Similar as the idea of a farmer and a harvest, the great harvest that you see, that's just the faithful, the, the result of the faithful steps that were followed before. The steps aren't as noticeable as a rich harvest, but without them, there wouldn't be one. So let's look at some of the tasks here that a farmer must perform to enjoy a worthwhile harvest. And all three of these main points here start with a P. Um, first off is uh, point one, the farmer prepares. Farmer prepares. The farmer must first prepare the soil. Uh, Luke 13, 6-9 gives the story of a man who understood that preparation precedes harvest. And I think that's the first one you want to cheat there. Then go ahead, Pastor, if you can start us off there. And Luke 13, verse 6, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig, leaf, fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he, <coughs> excuse me, then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. To give the fig tree another opportunity to bear fruit, the dresser of this vineyard promised to dig about it and dung it, to break up the ground around the tree and fertilize it. Preparation has to come before harvest. So subpoint A, this um, starts with a C. And I think, I was thinking about this when I was studying it, I think these are gerunds. They end in I-N-G. I think that's the right English term, right? No, that's it. That's the wrong one. I'm thinking of something different. Forget I said that. It ends with ing. Participle. There we go. Starts with a C. Idea of preparing. Cultivating. Not cultivating. I think even before that. Very similar. Clearing. Clearing. Yep. Clearing. Um, gives an illustration here of. Um, his pastors, years ago, that his pastor's family moved to the area of Cortez, Colorado, and began to clear fields for their pinto and garbanzo beans from which they would make their living. So they had to remove brush, stump, stones before they could plow the fields. They had to level off high places and fill in low places. It would be ineffective and sometimes impossible to plant ground that hasn't been cleared. They think. They've taken all the movies, and when they plow, they hit a big rock, right? And they gotta get rid of it. And uh, um, <coughs> otherwise, you can't plant. You know, God like it's interesting. God likens Himself to a vineyard owner here in Isaiah chapter five. 
who carefully gathered the stones out of his vineyard before he planted his vines. Isaiah 5.2. I think that's the next one on the sheet. And he fenced it and gathered out of the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vines. We must prepare the soil of our hearts to receive the word of God by removing anything that hinders him from working in our hearts and lives. You know, even as good, fertile, productive farmland must be kept clear of weeds, stumps, roots, rocks, etc., our hearts and lives must be kept clear of that which displeases God and hinders his work. Um, the next thing is talking about here is actually a really interesting kind of situation that it talks about in Scripture that's a really good illustration of this, actually. Um, 2 Kings 18 gives the account of King Hezekiah as he ascends to the throne here. Now, God records of his life that you know, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Hezekiah wanted God to work in his nation and in the lives of his people, so the, of course the first thing he did was to remove the places of idolatrous worship. I mean, he cut down the groves, removed the high places, and he broke up the idols. Of course, we looked at that uh, in our study of the kings here two ago. Of course, God gives some very high comments on his life in verses 5 to 6, uh, I think it's of 2 Kings 18. It says, He trusted in the Lord God of hosts, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him. Very high praise from God. Hezekiah prepared his kingdom to follow the Lord by first clearing out the things that were displeasing to the Lord. Hold that thought. Think about this now. We easily recognize that clearing our lives for God's service including includes removing sin. What we sometimes overlook are things that may not be inherently sinful, but they've taken a wrong position in our lives. And Hezekiah's cleansing of Judah here provides a really good illustration of that. To go back to what we just talked about with Hezekiah now, to understand what he did, there's some background information. We haven't got to it yet here. 700 years before Hezekiah, during the time of Israel's wanderings in the wilderness, you know, Israel complained, murmured to God, and God sent fiery serpents to judge them. And many people died. Um, so what did God instruct Moses to do? Brazen serpent, put it on a pole, and look and live, right? God promised that anyone who looked at it would be healed and live, look and live. As the years went by, the Israelites, of course, in their apostasy, they converted this brazen serpent into an idol and worshipped it, burning incense to it. The brazen serpent was a good thing that had come to be used in a wrong way. Hezekiah, it was the verse we're getting ready to read, Hezekiah destroyed it to keep it from ever again becoming a threat to people's walk with the Lord. 2 Kings 18.4 He break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. That's kind of crazy. The object of uh, God's deliverance was worshipped. You know, that talks about in Romans, the creature more than the creator and some things. But again, it's a, it was a good thing, right? God told him to make it. 
but it had come to be used in a wrong way. But we too may have idols of good things to which we've given the wrong position. Sometimes a favorite pastime or a hobby or sport, whether we even participate or observe, can take a wrong place in our lives and actually come between us and God. Even a good thing can become a bad thing if it's in the wrong place. For example, you know, we love our pets, some of the times, some of us, but we don't normally let dogs, cats, parakeets, iguanas into the church auditorium, right? Or we shouldn't. So we need to take care that the things we enjoy don't come between us and God. Idols are not limited to graven images. An idol is anything that comes between us and God. The farmer who wants an abundant harvest must first clear his ground. That's sub-point A. Then B, so this starts with a P, again ends with an I-N-G. We had clearing. It's plowing. Yep. Plowing. After clearing the ground, the farmer must plow. One of the most important inventions in American history was the steel plow, which was invented by a very uh, unknown guy named John Deere. <laughs> this steel plow would become a great asset to the Midwest because it could easily cut through the dense soil of the area and help turn what some called a great desert into a breadbasket for the entire country. It was only when the soil was broken up that the vast fields of wheat, barley, and corn could be grown. Farmers understand that hard, sun-baked earth will not absorb moisture. Even a melting snowpack will just run off and won't soak in. Plowing and disking the ground allows the water to drink the water to sink deeply into the soil and provide the moisture that will then allow the crops to grow. Similarly, our hearts need to be plowed as well. Jeremiah 4 3. For thus saith the Lord of the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. And Hosea 10 verse 12. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. God's word can break the hard ground of our hearts. Hebrews 4.12, of course, tells us that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's also likened to a hammer, too. The word of God can break open the hard heart and allow the seed of Scripture to bring forth fruit. Um, this is actually what's in here as a teaching tip in the book, but I'll just read it. It says, it would be surprising and perhaps humbling to know how many Christians do not spend time in God's Word faithfully. Now, those who have never developed this habit probably don't know where or how to begin to structure a daily meeting with God. Um, it talks about providing like you know, a schedule or chart. I know we have those um, as a church um, that's been passed out before. Um, and it's starting somewhere. And generally, it's not going to be reading your Bible through five times a year. It's starting somewhere in steps. So just an encouragement that we all, myself included, definitely taking 
the action of the spiritual discipline of taking the time to spend time with the Lord. And we should guard that time as carefully as we would any other appointment, any other important appointment in our lives. And if the soil of our hearts remains unbroken, God will not accomplish what he desires in our lives. Something I just thought of. God's words also likened to what? It is likened to a mirror. Thinking on this context, what about in Isaiah? There's that word. There's that song. As the snow falls from heaven, it talks about God's word in our hearts. But if our hearts and soil of our hearts remain unbroken, God will not accomplish what he desires in our lives. That's why it's vital for us to read and study God's word and be faithful to church to hear it preached. But simply reading God's word isn't enough. We need to read it with an open and a listening heart. It talks about here of um, it's good to keep a record of how God speaks to you through his word in a notebook. Now, writing down notes as we read is helpful. What God pointed out to you in reading is helpful as well because that will help facilitate focused and purposeful reading. And it helps us remember how God's spoken to us and then apply that in our lives. So that was point one, was the farmer prepares. So now point two, the farmer Plants, that is correct. The farmer plants. The farmer plants. Now, to have good crops, a farmer has to start with good seed. And there's a great deal of study, work, and care that goes into the process of developing seeds um, to get thriving, productive crops. A lot of genetics and that kind of thing. Now, we've been given the perfect, incorruptible seed of God's word. 1 Peter 1.23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So then sub-point A is something, the seed. Both of these start with a P. Planting. Planting the seed. Simply having the seed is not enough. The seed must be planted. In Haggai 2.19, the Lord asks, is the seed yet in the barn? Crops can't grow if the seed's left in the barn. So God asks his people why they have neglected to plant the seed. The parable of the sower in Luke 8, uh, 5 to 8 begins, A sower went out to sow his seed. Planting the seed was his purpose. It was his job. He wasn't supposed to guard it carefully in the barn. He wasn't to hoard the seed and see how much he could accumulate. He was not to analyze and no, criticize the seed, speculating its possible harvest. He wasn't to admire it. Kept in the barn, it was useless. The sower was simply supposed to get it in the ground where it could grow. You know, as God's people, we've been given a responsibility to plant the seed of God's word. We can, unfortunately, you know sometimes we can get caught up too much 
and inspecting, <laughs> inspecting the seed or the fruit that we lose sight of what we should be planting in. We must not be hesitant about planting it either with the seed that we've been entrusted with. Ecclesiastes 11.4 warns, He that observeth the wind shall not sow. Basically, if all you're doing is just look and see if it's the right time to go out and do it, you're never going to do it. We're not to plan only when the circumstances are just right or when we're certain of the outcome. I think it talks about, was it Timothy, be instant in season, out of season. I think that Paul exhorted Timothy, um, I think, in that situation there. We're simply, <clears throat> excuse me, simply to do what God tells us to do and trust him to bring the harvest. So as General Stonewall Jackson said, Duty is ours, the consequences are God's. Be faithful in sowing God's word at every opportunity that we have. And if we really think about it, we have far more than we probably realize that we pay attention to. Now, the Apostle Paul, probably the, the greatest Christian of the New Testament era, described himself as a planner. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 6. I have planted all of. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Notice that it was not Paul who controlled the harvest, but God. He simply planted. All of us can be faithful to plant, and we should be telling our family, our friends, coworkers about salvation. We can invite them to come to church, relate what God's done in your life to them. Now, some people will not respond to the gospel the first time they hear it, but if the seed's never planted, they'll never respond. And then subpoint B, we had um, planting the seed, and now we have something, the crop, search the P as well. Pruning, that is correct. Pruning the crops. A farmer can't just walk away from the newly planted seed. He has to, be, he has to take care for the plants as they grow. Um, illustration that he gives here. It says, once I visited a family's bean farm in Colorado. Apparently they grow a lot of beans in Colorado. <laughs> During their daughter's teenage years. It says, I remember so well the first time I shook her hand. She was 13 or 14, but her hands felt like hardened leather. It was such an unusual feeling that I asked her about her hands. I spend many, many hours every day hoeing the beans, she explained. Now, the seed had been planted but there's still work to do. The weeds must be removed to allow the seed to grow properly. Weeds will strangle the seeds and young plants and rob from the soil the moisture and nutrients that they need to grow. Now, weeds can easily sprout in our lives too. Thoughts, attitudes, actions, habits that hinder and strangle our Christian growth. Now, Jesus warned of this when he told of the seed that, uh, this is Matthew 13, 7, that fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and what? Choked it. Now, he also further explained later in that chapter how the seed is choked in our lives. It says, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Our earthly cares and concerns, pursuing money, whatever, choking out God's word in our lives. Another illustration here from the author says, As a teenage boy, I worked for a gardener, Ron, who trained me in trimming hedges. 
says, I think this was due in a large part to my height and arm length, obviously not talking about me, that enabled me to reach over the top of a hedge <laughs> to the place that he couldn't normally reach. And Ron made it clear to me that there was a form or shape he expected for every plant. And it was my job to remove anything that did not conform to the shape that he had in mind. Our Heavenly Father has a shape and a design in mind for each one of us. And we need to allow Him to prune us, removing from our lives anything that does not fit His will for us. John 15, 1 to 3. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Pruning is essential for a good harvest, and God uses his word to purge, shape, and prune our lives as we obey him. Um, last point this evening, point three. We had the farmer plants and he prunes, and then also now the farmer starts with a P as well. Probably can follow the progression, get somewhat close to it. So that idea is not the same, not the word, but God produces. Farmer possesses. The farmer possesses. Fall time can bring many things to our mind. You know, we think of the colors of the foliage, you know, the cornucopia with fruit and vegetables, Thanksgiving and all that it means to us as Christians, and we we'll often think of harvest as well going on in that time. Now, harvest time is the farmer's reward for months of preparing the soil, planting, and then pruning the crops. It's inconceivable that after all this work, he would stop short of gathering the harvest. As Christians, we too must gather the harvest. Subpoint A here, the time to harvest is, starts with an N, three-letter word, starts with an N, now. The time to harvest is now. now. God's word says the fields of this world are white or ripe unto harvest. John 4, 35 to 38. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And here is that same true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labor, and ye are entered into their labors. The disciples of Jesus looked on the physical field you know, surrounding them, and they, they knew that it wasn't harvest time yet. So obviously he's not talking about the physical sense in, in these, past, these verses here. But Jesus was urging them to look on the fields of God and the world of people that desperately need to know the Lord. So he urged them to realize that that harvest time is now. If ripe crops are left in the field just a little too long, will rot. Now perhaps you've seen this in your own garden. He says, I've seen zucchini the size of a large torpedo. <laughs> <laughs> you 
If the harvest is not gathered at the proper time, it will soon be worthless. Now, farmers clearly understand the urgency of the harvest, and they work day and night to bring the crops in at the proper time. As you see farmers out at night, lights on their combine sometimes, um, finishing stuff up. And we need to ask the Lord to give us a sense of, a sense of urgency for the ripe harvest field of souls. Subpoint B, last one here. The harvest is now, and then now the time of harvest brings, starts with an R, rejoicing. The time of harvest brings rejoicing. A completed harvest makes for a time of rejoicing and celebration. It brings a warm, satisfying feeling of accomplishment. Proverbs 13, 19. The first Thanksgiving was a special celebration held by the pilgrims at the Plymouth Colony to express their gratitude to God for the recent harvest and for all of His goodness to them. Unfortunately, in today's culture, people want the celebrating before the harvesting. You know, in God's divine order, however, work precedes rejoicing. In the end, all the toil invested in God's work will pale in comparison to the reward that we have. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Galatians 6, 9. <laughs> and let us not be weary in well-being, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we faithfully sow, we'll experience the joy of reaping. As 1 Corinthians 3, 6 explains, it is God who gives the increase, but he's chosen to use us to gather it. We should consider that a privilege. So in conclusion, as farmers and laborers in God's harvest fields, we must be willing to prepare the ground, obedient to plant the seed and prune the crops, and ultimately be diligent to possess the harvest that he gives. Let's look at some questions um, over the lesson this evening. Um, number one, why does the farmer need to prepare the ground by clearing and plowing it before planting? Hold that answer. It'd be ineffective and sometimes impossible to plant ground that hasn't been cleared. If you're trying to work your plow around stumps and over rocks, and I mean, it's not really going to work. Plowing the ground allows water to sink deeply into the soil, providing the moisture that then will allow the crops to grow. So point two, or uh, question two, so why did Hezekiah destroy the brazen serpent that God had previously commanded Moses to make? And what does that serpent represent in our lives? Became a snare to him. So what does that kind of represent? What's, the, what's an application, I guess, then for us today? 
No, he recorded, yep, he destroyed the brazen serpent because the people would begin to worship it. And worshiping that, and think about it in our lives, can represent anything, even good things, that have taken the wrong position in our lives. Um, question three, what would happen if a, if a farmer simply walked away from the fields after planting and didn't return until after the harvest? And what would be the result? When he returned, he'd find that the weeds had choked the plants and he'd have a small harvest or no harvest at all. So why is the harvest season urgent? This question's already been answered. Hey, Joel. So why is the harvest urgent? rot that is correct the harvest season is urgent because the fruit will rot or be wasted if it's left in the field so these next four questions are um, answers will vary so when was the last time that God spoke to you through his word to reveal sin that needed to be removed or even one of those good things that had taken a wrong position and are we faithful to daily spent time in his word? Is planting the seed of God's word by sharing the gospel with others a regular part of your life? And if not, what adjustments do you need to make to your schedule to make this a priority? That's a uh, rather convicting question. So who's God laying on your heart that you could share the gospel with this week? And it gives a note here that we should share these names with each other and pray for them. And then next week, ask about them to each other, how the Lord worked. Of the three jobs a farmer has that we looked at, preparing, planting, and possessing, where do you need to start? Where do we need to start? Where do I need to start? Yeah, those are kind of all questions that uh those last four especially that answers will vary in our lives but i don't know maybe we should talk about number seven maybe we should talk about that one of who the lord's laying on our heart that we should share the gospel with this week we think about that for a minute is there someone that the lord's laying on our heart that we need to share with the gospel with this week Or someone's. Plural. It's a bit of a, uh, again, not anything we've never heard before, kind of lesson tonight, but it's kind of some thoughts that kind of stood out to me. Is there anything that uh, stood out to anybody else? But in, even in farming today, there's a huge dependence on God bringing the rain, stopping the rain, uh, drying it out so you know so you can so 
lesson pretty much focuses on, you know, our part. But unless the Spirit of God is going to do something with it, it's, it's God who gives the increase. So I just thought it was interesting that lesson didn't particularly bring up that, that part of it. Yep. Definitely in Ephesians and above him and or Romans. And through him and by him and all things. Anything else? There's something to me that kind of stood out as interesting is that no a harvest, a good harvest really is just the results, the visible results of all the faithful steps that went before that most people are we don't think about that most people don't see on that. And that example of like Hezekiah of a good thing. Goodness, God is the one who told him to make it. Moses made it. God told Moses to make it. It was a good thing. But it had taken a wrong spot in their lives. And Hezekiah, he didn't just like throw it in a closet where it could be brought out again later, you know. <laughs> he got rid of it. Again, what's the... It says he break it in pieces. And yeah, there's definitely plenty of opportunities of things in our lives like that where things can be good things but take a wrong place and then they become bad things in our lives. Last call, anything? Anything else to anybody? Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for the lesson tonight and just the idea and like the analogy of a farmer and being a farmer and a laborer for you and in your harvest of how we have to be prepared, not only does, as ground has to be prepared, but we have to be prepared in our hearts to be usable. Um, we also, um, of course, then see that you know, crops, once they're planted, they have to be pruned and cared for and weeds kept away. And then ultimately that there's a harvest to possess and to gather. And as you tell us that it's ripe and ready now, not in the future, but now. Again, it's not anything new that we've never heard tonight, Lord, but Hopefully it was um, just some convicting things and challenging things to us um, on those, Lord. And I pray that um, this week that um, you would lay a soul in our heart that we could share your word with and share the good news with this week. And ask you to be with us as we go to our homes, keep us safe, and then bring us back together again in the, in the midweek. Um, just for a time of refreshment and recharging um, spiritually on Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen.